Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Crucible. Glad to have you uh, after, after a week off. And um, if you remember, before we, before we uh, had a hurricane come through, we were in a, we were in a series called Exposed. And uh, we had a week to go on that series, and, and we're deciding not to recoup that, but to press forward. Um, and so uh, we're, we're stepping into a brand new series in the book of Luke. We've been wrestling through the book of Luke uh, uh, for uh, coming up on a year now, and we've been breaking it down into, what, into mini-series, what feels like little mini-series, where we just look at what Luke is doing and we break it into units. Uh, and the, the new kind of um, uh, uh, topical unit we're coming into is what we're calling the foolish way. Um, where we're going to be in chapter 12 for four weeks. And what Jesus does here in chapter 12 is both through stories, some stories, and, and also some teaching, he uh, highlights the, how the way of the kingdom looks like foolishness to the world. Um, and he, he brings out what I think are our peak cultural issues, especially for us in our time. Ways in which uh, the kingdom is in direct opposition to the logic and the reasoning and the rationale of the world, the sensibilities of the world. And it's my belief that our world, and even, not, not just like the world generally, but even Christian is actually forming us to be functional atheists when it comes to the trustworthiness of God. Uh, that, that, that if we actually believed that God was trustworthy, what it would emerge in us is a life of courage, a life of, of generosity and simplicity instead of wealth building, and, and a, a, a life of self-forgetfulness and servanthood instead of, of wor- being marked by worry and anxiety and fear. And today, so, so over the next four weeks, we're going to be wrestling with this. The next, uh, next week, Brian's going to talk about the wisdom, how the wisdom of the world is wealth building, but the wisdom of the kingdom is generosity. Then the week after that, Stacy's going to be with us talking about the irrationality of worrying about provisions like what you will eat or what you will drink or where you will live or the clothes you have. Uh, and then we're going to end up with Melissa talking about the irrationality of having anxiety about the future but to actually live in today faithfully. Uh, and today, this morning, we're going to be wrestling with the fear of other people, what they think of you, what they can do to you, their approval, their disapproval, the fear of other people. We're going to be in Luke 12, 4 through 12. Luke 12, 4 through 12. It's on the, your, your sheet when you came through the door. The passage is on the back of that, or you can get out a screen. And we will do this morning what we do every morning. We, we, I want to give you all a chance uh, to read the text on your own, to, to read it at your own pace, to digest it on your own, uh, instead of just kind of like hearing everything from one perspective from the front, to actually engage with the Word of God on your own. Uh, and then actually, tr- I'll transition you to get with groups of three, four, five, and just talk a little bit about the text. What did you see? What surprised you? What question do you have? Uh, uh, what stuck with you? Um, so go ahead and take a moment now uh, to read that, pe- that, that page, that passage. Um, and you can mark it up however you want or write things down. You can do whatever you want with it, Uh, but take some time to read it on your own. What'd you think? 
Talk, talk back a little bit. Talk back with us a little bit more. What did you, what did you see? What did you talk about? We've got two mic runners. If you've got something you want to share with the community, fear not, be not afraid, and, uh, and just raise your hand. Let us know. We've got one up here. <clears throat> Um, I found it really interesting. This uh, passage is pretty scary, but also very encouraging at the yeah. same time. It's like it's split up into four parts where you have like a terrifying warning yes. then a wonderful encouragement then a terrifying warning then another wonderful encouragement. <laughs> yes, yes, and, yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's just for each terrifying warning, it's like, well, what does that mean? Am, am I in that group? And then, yeah. and then when the, the encouragement comes, you're like, wow. Well, that's, I feel better now. Maybe yes. it's not so bad. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. So I, I, I feel very confused and split in this kind yes. of passage. Yes, that's, that's an amazing observation because that's the kind of, I love that kind of observation because our interaction with Scripture is not simply an intellectual exercise where we try to figure it out, but sometimes it is an emotional roller coaster where we feel and we experience with Jesus in, in the text, in the Word. And that's exactly what this is. It's, it's, it's this, the, the, um, when you read it, you cannot help but start to wonder, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what are you saying to me? Uh, because it is this, this mixture of confrontation and grace, confrontation and grace. Other things? Um, yeah, I was just wondering, I had saw verse 10, and it says, uh, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Um, it just seems like a fine line. Yes. Um, you know, what, what is each one defined by? Right, right. Everybody loves that verse. <laughs> just generally, like, you know, this, this unforgivable sin is quite problematic, right, um, for a, a God who we right, rightly perceive as a God of grace and love um, to, to see this option of an unforgivable sin. And then also to have that mention of an unforgivable sin be placed right next to something that feels similar but is okay. It feels a bit paralyzing. <laughs> okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? When am I doing it? When am I not doing it? Um, I'll just offer you, there's, there's, there's three or four different, I'm not going to dive into it a lot in my talk, so I'll just talk about it for a moment, a quick moment. Um, but there are three or four kind of uh, classically held uh, views of the unforgivable sin, and two of the main ones uh, are, go along these lines, and they have to do with how you see the whole passage, how you see the whole text. One view is that the unforgivable sin, what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, is to, is to uh, 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 act in apostasy, to deny Jesus in a moment of persecution, in order to save yourself from persecution, that that itself is the unfor unforgivable sin. Now, that view comes from receiving these lines in the, in the overall context. That what we're saying in the beginning is don't be, don't be afraid of people who can only kill your body and then they can't do anything else. Why would you be afraid of that? Um, and then the end of the passage talks about acknowledging Jesus and, and then being, being tuned into the Spirit of God to have a defense or to, to what to say in those kind of moments. 
and receiving those lines only in context of the whole passage. The other view uh, is, is to see that specifically that line. Um, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. To see that line as almost an aside, not particularly talking exactly about the moment that you're under persecution, uh, but generally saying, if you, if you speak a word against the Son of Man now, you, you'll be forgiven. You've got a chance. But when the Holy Spirit comes, if you're never open to the Holy Spirit, I, I can't save you from your, inab- your, your refusal uh, to, to be open to the one whom I'm sending into the world to, to witness to me, to my name. And under that second view, uh, uh, which is the view I'm more I'm, uh, 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 lean toward, under that view, if you worry, if you've ever uh, committed blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, you haven't. If you're afraid that you've committed blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, you haven't. But the people who have would never actually wonder or ask the question. Other things. There's one over here. Yeah, we we talked a little bit in our group how this this scripture really brings out the kingdom of God, the authority of God, but also the nature of God. Yes. So that he does have the authority to judge us. He, and and we, we have the, the, the responsibility to have a holy fear of him. But he also talks about something so small in his creation. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Mm. Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Yes. He's saying even the smallest part of his creation, mm-hmm. he's thoughtful toward. Yes. How much more is he thoughtful toward us? That's exactly right. And I loved in the song this morning when it said, our sin is great, but God's love is greater. That's great. And that Jesus went to the cross for us. And that revealed nature. Yeah. And, 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 but at the same time, we have to understand that it's about authority. Yes. And God has that authority. Yeah, it's the lifting up in two hands. The authority of God. Not just over your now, but your eternity. And at the same time, his concern for you. His care for you. This is the trustworthiness of God. That he is the one who has authority, not over just your right now, but your eternity. And he has demonstrated his care for you. And he's exactly right about that sparrow comment. It's a little bit, you know, we don't live in that world. But what he's trying to say there is when you walk through a market, the most worthless thing that you'll find is a sparrow. That it's, it's, it, it's food for poor people. I mean, it's like nobody buys sparrows in bulk or anything. That's why they sell for two pennies. Nobody wants a sparrow. It's a little bit weird for us because I actually think, I was thinking about it this week, if I was walking through like the the flea market on Hillsboro and I saw a couple sparrows for like $5, I might buy them. Because I think sparrows are kind of like as a pet, sparrows might be cool if they're only five bucks, it's not a problem. So our worth, our worth and worthlessness scale is a little bit off. So you, in order to receive the full thrust of that text, you have to think, if you were to walk through a market, what's the most worthless thing that you could find? And God cares about that thing, and don't you count more. So this week, I was just thinking in my mind, are not, are not five country music CDs, you only buy them for two pennies. They're two pennies at the market. And does not God care about these? I don't know if he does. I don't, I'm not sure if he does. But does not God care about these five country music CDs? And you are worth more than any country music CD. So, you know, you guys in your own hearts, you can, you can discern and think and wonder what it is. 
let me, let me, let me jump in. Uh, what do we, this is the problem, whenever I, I'll just, I'm just going to tell you what I've wrestled with this text this week, and I, I struggled with this text this week, and I'm just going to tell you why three times. <laughs> what do we, in a context of religious freedom, do with a passage that says something like this? Do not be afraid of those who, because of your acknowledgement of Jesus, can kill the body, but fear him who has authority over your eternity. What do we, in a context of religious freedom, have to receive from a text like this? You see, in the, in the historical context, both when Jesus said it and when Luke wrote it, they actually were taking into consideration that death is meant as a literal consequence to the acknowledgement and ownership of Jesus. Like, that's a real, literal consequence. That could very well happen to you. And you might experience moments where you're under that kind of threat and you have to say something or, 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 or make a choice. And there are still places in the world today where death is a real consequence to the acknowledgement of Jesus. I was... Two years ago, I did this little training, uh, training intensive um, out in Pasadena, California, and one of the guys that I met out there that was a part of this intensive was a, a, a guy named um, Amir. That's not his actual name, but I'm going to call him Amir. And uh, I didn't know much about him. We were in class two or three days, and I hadn't said a word to him, and, and we, got, we went on this excursion thing, and I sat by him on a train, a little public transit train. And we had two hours next to each other, and I just started asking him about his story, and I just basically cried for two hours. And he, he was uh, originally in Afghanistan and was, uh, uh, grew up um, Muslim and, and had basically in his 20s, he had a dream of a, of a man who just like appeared in his dream, and he only described this man as glorious. This glorious man appeared in his dream and told him to walk down to a barber on the end of his block and ask this man about the truth about Jesus. And he woke up from this dream and walked down to this barber at the end of his block in Afghanistan, asked this guy about Jesus, and it turned out that that guy in the barbershop was a Christian missionary. And that guy's work was primarily just running a barbershop and waiting for Jesus to interrupt people's dreams. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, this is what this guy did. And if you read about that stuff, like that kind of th stuff happens in the Middle East quite a bit. And so this guy uh, has this, you know, he, he starts this relationship with this guy in a barbershop, ends up get, surrendering his life to Jesus, uh, uh, walking away from his career, and he actually felt the call of the Lord to, uh, to move across the border into Iran um, and uh, start house churches, just evangelize people. And so he moved across the border um, and, and started just trying to witness people in little ways and started a little house church community. And then uh, that house church community launched another little house church community. And then that house church community started another little house church community. And then he was just working with these leaders of a few house churches. And everything was like very under wraps and trying to be careful. And eventually it got, it got to, they stirred too much of the pot. And, and the, the government started to hear about what they were doing. And if you, if you know anything about like... Um, uh, the politics or whatever, they, they do have rules on the books uh, that it is like illegal to a degree to uh, uh, defect from uh, Islam, and, and, but, but they don't really criminalize it a whole lot uh, because they're under uh, some human rights 
uh, 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 um, view, and, and they don't want to put in jeopardy some of their human rights stuff, so they're pretty selective about who they punish. And so you, it becomes, it's a little bit dangerous to, to convert to Christianity, then it's more dangerous to try to do evangelism, and then like the height of danger is to try to like multiply communities, and he's doing this, and they, he, they, they, they get word of it, and they track him down. They find him. They arrest him. They put him in jail. He's in jail for 10 months. And the whole time he's in jail, he realizes, just in conversation with some of the guards that are with him, he realizes that he's waiting for a trial, but his first trial is not going to be um, to, to decide whether or not he committed a crime. But he's already actually been convicted without trial, for a crime, and he's only waiting for his sentencing trial. So he's in jail for 10 months just waiting for a sentencing, and everybody's preparing him for a death sentence. So he's just kind of getting ready for it, and he has no communication with the outside world, and he gets to this trial after 10 months, and, and, he's, and he has, it's a very quick trial. He's got a little uh, a defense attorney who, who hasn't worked a whole lot, and then there's a prosecutor. And he gets in there, and, there, and the, the, the judge makes clear, we're just trying to decide on a sentencing here. Um, and, and in the trial, he gives this guy, he gives Amir uh, a, a moment to say something. He just, says, he just says, would you like to plead your defense a little bit? Are you, basically, are you sorry? You know, this is going to play into our sentencing. Would you like to defend yourself, defend your case? And Amir stood up, and he asked, he just said, Judge, would, would it be okay if I just have a private moment with you, if I approach the stand and have a, just a private moment with you? And the judge said, I'll give you two minutes. So Amir walks from his table up to the judge's stand. And he, when he's telling me this story, he was just like, I, it felt like an eternity of walking. And as he was walking, he was just trying to discern, what do I say, what do I say? I have two minutes what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? He has two minutes to plead for his life, to plead his innocence, to beg for mercy or something. How do you convince this judge that you don't have any, you don't know him, you don't have any information? What do you say? So he's just trying to rely on the Spirit. What do I say to save my own skin, to save my life? And he felt impressed by the Spirit of God to actually just share the gospel and to not defend his case. And so he approaches this judge, and he said, the way he was telling me, he, 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 he said he basically tried to tell the judge the bridge diagram without a pen and paper. Like, he was just trying to describe the, the bridge diagram without a pen and paper. And the judge just looked at him, just sober-faced, didn't do anything, and said, okay, you can go back and sit down. And he's just like, did I do the right thing? Lord, did I hear you? Did I hear you, Lord? And he goes back, and he just doesn't know what to do. And the judge says, let's take a quick two-minute recess. And he took the prosecutor and the attorney into the back room to just have a little private meeting. And he said, we'll reconvene in two minutes. So the, the judge, the prosecutor, and the attorney go back into the room. And then when they emerge, all they do is they come to a mirror, they unlock him, and they set him free. And they said, you're free to go. And the judge never came back out. So he never saw the judge's face. So he has no idea what happened with that judge, like if he came to faith or whatever, but literally they just came back out, unlocked him, they said, you're free to go. And he never got any explanation. He leaves, goes straight back to his village, gathers all of his house church leaders, and just starts checking in how the last 10 months gone. What's going on? Where are you guys at? Let's get going. Let's get going. Just keeps running after it, running after it, planting churches, planting churches. Three months later... He catches word that they're com they've already found out he, he didn't stop, he didn't resist, he didn't do anything. Uh, he just kept going. So they're going to come after him in the night. They're going to get him. There's not going to be a wait. They're, they're just going to sentence him immediately. So he has to flee. He has to take his wife and flee. 
and they run to an orphanage and hide out in an orphanage because this orphanage was kind of like decriminalized in a way. Like they just didn't pay attention to it that much. And they hid out for 10 years in this orphanage, trying to orchestrate their ministry in, in, in the outside world from inside this orphanage. And after 10 years, they, they, they were evacuated stateside uh, in a town in the, in the Midwest on an asylum visa. And then I wound up talking with him in tears on a train in Pasadena. Just like, what is this? What is this life? What is this story you've lived? I just want to be careful. I want to be very careful to be able to talk about this in a way that does not cheapen the real experience of real people in other parts of the world and in history. But yes, there are people who read and receive this text with all of the implications that it brings, that it was originally written for. But does that mean that it has nothing for us because our lives under, aren't under that kind of threat? No. There is still stuff that we can receive while we acknowledge that that is a st still a real takeaway from this text. See, while the immediate thrust of the text is the threat of death for owning Jesus, acknowledging Jesus, the meta-truth of the text is the danger of trading in the fear of God for the fear of man. And we still do that. Even though your life isn't in danger, you still might be afraid of what people are going to think of you. You still might be afraid of what people are going to think of you when you share the gospel, when you don't share the gospel, when you do a Christian type of thing, when you don't do a Christian type of thing. You just might be afraid under some kind of tyranny of anxiety just generally about what people think of you of disappointing people, of being liked by people, of being persecuted by people, of the silence of people. What are they saying? What do they think? This is the fear of man. The Bible actually has a whole lot to say about the fear of man. And here's just a few. Here's just a few. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man promises you some kind of safety. That's what you're looking for. That's what you're fighting for. That's what you're chasing. But the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. It's Proverbs 29. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 56. Deuteronomy 118. You shall not show partiality and judgment. You shall hear the small and the great arguments alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is the Lord's. So even when you're kind of like working on it, you're trying to decide a decision that affects a bunch of people, you should not fear what those people have to say or think about the decision that's made. The judgment is the Lord's. If the case is too hard for you, you should bring it to me and I will hear it. This is 1 Samuel 15. I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people. And listen to their voice, not yours. Sometimes the fear of men can lead us to want everyone to like you, to chase social approval, to be uh, under the ownership of social approval. But wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In the words from Jesus, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how the ancestors treated the false prophets. People who really know the Lord, people who are really in tune with the Lord, they're, they're, some people aren't going to like them. But if everybody likes you, it's usually because you're not actually delivering the word that the Lord's put on you to deliver. 
Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of men, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That's Deuteronomy 31. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? That's Psalm 118. I think the fear of man is such a strong concern in Scripture because it is such an ever-present pressure on us, on you and on me. You see, the fear of man has the power that it does because the approval of other people feels so much more real and physical and in your face. You can see it. You can know it immediately. You're sure about it. You always see it, whereas the approval or disapproval of God sometimes feels a bit more abstract or hard to know or hard to discern or hard to experience or hard to see. You know, my first time, my first time speaking uh, to, to this community, I, I, back in October of last year, my first time speaking at a crucible, I mean, I was a, like a little bit anxious. I didn't know, I don't know you, you don't know me. I mean, I, I, and this, this kind of space to, to, to speak from, this kind of space is really important. I felt the, I felt the weight of it, the importance of it. So I I was a little bit afraid. I was like, I don't want to mess this up. I don't, want to, I don't want to screw up or whatever. So after I got done, my first time in October, speaking here, after I got done, Monday morning, the first thing I did is I went straight to Jeremy's office, and I was like, what did you think, man? What did you think? Give me some feedback. And what I was doing was I didn't know how to, I, I didn't know how to even perceive or know like if God was approved or not with what I said. And so I just got it mixed up with, did other people like it? If other people liked it, certainly God probably liked it. I just need to figure out if other people liked it. And I go to Jeremy's office, and I'm like, hey, what did you think of my talk yesterday? What did you think of my talk? Just give me a little feedback. I just want to grow as a communicator. I just want to grow. So just, you know, give me a little feedback. And Jeremy said, yeah, I've got some thoughts, but, you know, do you, do you think the Lord was pleased? The most Jeremy thing. Anyways, <laughs> do you think the Lord was pleased? I was like, I don't know, man. What did you think about the talk? <laughs> Tell me about I don't know. I'll figure it out later. Maybe you'll help me figure it out. See, you could deliver a word or do an action that everybody around loves and you were unfaithful to the Lord. Or you could say a word that I could deliver a sermon that everybody here hated and yet the Lord is pleased. Every time you submit your life to a fear of men because you're afraid of being made fun of or not being liked or experiencing something painful, your life becomes reordered under the authority and leadership of that fear. You see the problem with that, right? Because you can only serve one master, not two. You're going to love one and hate the other. The one you fear, you will obey, and the one you obey, you will worship. Fear and its best friends, worry and anxiety, they steal your worship away from the one who is worthy to receive it and wastes that worship on feeble things that do not care for you and are not trustworthy. The exertion of fear and anxiety and worry are not ends in themselves, but a chasing of peace, a chasing, a, a pursuit of a version of life that doesn't require fear, that does not require that anxiety, that does not require that worry. Nobody chooses to be fearful and anxious and worrisome. No, nobody loves that human experience. I mean, if you find somebody who, who has tendencies towards anxiety, you'd just be like, well, you just love being anxious. No, they don't. They don't. Everybody who, who, who has a tendency toward anxi or anxiety or worry are always trying to chase a, a, a life of security and comfort, a life that does not require those things. The problem is, is that future never comes. 
A life that is governed by fear and worry uh, is functionally chasing those things, uh, but it never comes. And the inability to secure that future, the inability to secure that comfort and safety that you long for actually only produces more anxiety, more fear, more worry. And it grows and it grows. Ironically, that future, that future that fear and anxiety promise you is actually already available to you now. If only you would place that fear in the right place. See, the Lord brings you a peace that can transcend any circumstance, a peace that does not make sense, that transcends the external realities of your life. The Lord can provide a safety that this world simply cannot understand or account for. The Lord can provide a comfort you will never be able to secure or create for yourself, ever. Even courage, even courage itself is not the absence of fear or the overcoming of fear, but true courage emerges from fear rightly placed kept thinking this week of the Apostle Paul and his, his reckless decision in the book of Acts to return to Jerusalem. And he struggled with this decision. He was on his third missionary journey and he was going around working with, uh, and he was actually revisiting some of the leaders of communities that he'd been with before. And especially, especially this community of elders in Ephesus, they really did not want, he felt impressed by the Lord. Paul, Paul felt like he was supposed to go back to Jerusalem. He felt led by the Lord to go back to Jerusalem. And there was this prophet named Agabus, and and this prophet actually earlier in the book of Acts had predicted that there would be a famine under the emperor Claudius, and that famine happened. So he's he's like, he's a prophet, he predicted a famine's coming under this leader, and then that, that famine actually happens. And that prophet, that prophet approaches Paul in the midst of some of these leaders, takes this rope. Uh, 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 from around a robe and actually binds up Paul's hands and says, if you go to Jerusalem, this is how they'll bind you. This is how, this is what's coming for you. That prophet approaches Paul in the midst of these people. So all these people, what are they saying? They love him. They're like, don't go. Don't be an idiot. Why are you wanting to go to Jerusalem? Even Agabus came and told you, you know, you probably shouldn't go to Jerusalem, but did he? The reality is that God can actually tell you that something painful is coming. He might even allow something painful to come to you, but it's actually still within the domain of His will for you to go there. And Paul, Paul almost, he, he's working with these leaders. They keep telling him, don't go, don't go, don't go. And eventually he has this moment with them where he says, why are you, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Why are you making this hard for me? I consider my life worth nothing to me, of no value to me. If only I can accomplish the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And he goes. That's a rightly placed fear. Emerging from a life of courage and even comfort and safety in the Lord Jesus. All marked by these words. I consider my life worth nothing to me. I consider my life worth no value to me. If only I can accomplish the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Don't fear men, or you will disown the Son and you will be deaf to the Spirit, but fear God and you will confess the Son and be led by the Spirit. Worship team can come up. In my time time talking with Amir and hearing his story, two years ago, for me, it's a long time ago, 
And there's still times when I'm like driving my car and I'm just spacing out or something like that and I'll think of him and I always think of two parts of his story, two parts of, of his journey that he shared with me. These two parts that like when he shared them and ever since have struck me to my core and they inspire me in the, in the, 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 the void of my mind when I'm just you know, driving or, or awake at night or something. Sometimes these things come to me. One that while he sat in a prison cell for almost a year, he converted three prison guards. That, and he didn't actually have that much access to other prisoners because he was in solitary confinement for so much of his time. But the, the, anyone who had access to him at all received good news consistently. Could not help himself but to give good news. And three prison guards gave their lives to Jesus just by just by spending minutes with him each day. And the second thing is that while he took refuge in an orphanage for 10 years, hiding in an orphanage for 10 years from authorities and the threat of death, he and his wife adopted eight children out of that orphanage. He can't help himself. He can't stop himself from being a conduit of good news and redemption. You see, in situations of fear and anxiety and chaos, when you would think, you would think that a missionary would be rendered helpless and ineffective, there was actually just as much redemptive power flowing through him as there was before. Maybe even more flowing through him. And last week was, for many of us, including, including me and my wife, just a, a, a week of stress, anxiety, worry, terror, uh, maybe the worst week of the year, maybe the worst week of several years. And listen, some of you, uh, some of you left uh, Tampa very prayerfully and discerning and considering missionary questions and the leadership implications of that decision and just felt the clear conscience and the freedom of the Lord to leave. God bless you. Amazing. It's a great decision. Some of you left just because you were terrified and afraid and you didn't consider missionary decisions, didn't consider leadership implications, and you were just motivated by fear to go. Now, some people stayed because they very prayerfully and, dis- and, 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 and with Jesus kind of made that decision and felt uh, with the missionary implications, wanted to stay uh, uh, and felt very confident about the, that decision. They boarded up their houses. Now, some of you stayed just because you were afraid of what other gr- underground people would think of you if you left. And that's the fear of man, too. So listen, there's people all over the board. Some people left well. Some people didn't leave well. Some people stayed well. Some people didn't stay well. So I, the, everybody, you, you think of your own week. That's fine. You think of your own week. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just going to tell you about me, okay? I'm just going to tell you about my week. I'm new to Florida. This was my orientation to hurricanes. Um, you know, so we, we, every single day, Jamie and I were like, for, for eight or nine days, every single day, Jamie and I were talking, like, like, like texting during the day, and then at night, pillow talk, like, what do we do? I don't know what's going on. What do we do? And at the beginning of the week, I was just like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We don't have enough information. It could turn. It could diminish. Do you remember Hurricane Matthew? Does anybody remember Hurricane Matthew? It was like back in October. It did like really bad damage to the, the islands. And then it was coming up. And I remember Jamie and I like laughing, putting on repeat this video of this uh, Fox News commentator uh, and just laughing every night because he, he's in front of this graphic of Hurricane Matthew and is a couple days away from Florida. And he, and he said, listen, leave Florida or you and your whole family will die. 
yes, did you not see this Shep Smith? I mean, he, he was like, he, is that his name? I don't know if that's his name. He was like, leave now. You will not, sur- people do not survive this. And then he kind of waited for a couple minutes and then he said, and your kids will die too. Like at the end of that, I'm not kidding. It's like a little 17 second clip and Jamie and I were just laughing. I mean, we were just, because it just, what did it do? It just rained here. I mean, in October, I mean, we were in hysteria. We were like, do we leave? Do we not leave? And it just rained a couple times. And, and I mean, so we, we kind of experienced the hysteria in October. So at the beginning of last week, I was just kind of like, we remember October, right? So let's just chill. Let's just chill. Everybody chill. Everybody chill. It could turn. It could, it could diminish. It could slow. We don't know. We don't have the data yet. So then middle of the week comes, and, I'm like, and we're like still talking every day. What do we do? What do we do? And, and I'm like, uh, okay, it's still fine because it's turning east, right? You guys remember? It was turning east and like Wednesday, Thursday, or something like that. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to do the east coast, and we'll get some rain, and it'll probably just go out to the Atlantic, and we'll all laugh like, oh, that was hilarious. It'll probably just keep going east. It'll keep going east. So we're, we're stay. We feel real confident about that decision. This is not a big deal. It's not happening. And then Friday comes, and we're like, ah, it's coming. It's coming right at us. The eye of the storm is it's Tampa. Tampa is right there. And it's going to be a category four, and, and we're all going to die, and it's too late to leave. It's too late to leave. 18 hours to Atlanta, what do we do? And, we, and Jamie and I were just losing our minds, like, what do we do? What do we do? We can't, we can't leave anymore. We can't leave. We're going to die. Everybody's going to die. We can't leave. So we just, Saturday morning, we were kind of like, okay, we just sat down. We we're like, let's talk. What do you think? What do you think? And we just decided with, every, with the, the information we knew, and we talked to some friends, and we were discerning, and we're... We just thought, okay, let's just stay. We got to stay. Decision made. Decision made. We're staying. We can't keep talking about this. And then I just went out Saturday morning, and I just decided to, to, to board up my windows because that's what Florida people do. And so I get up put boards on my windows. I don't know how to do it. I was just driving s- s- screws into my house everywhere. I didn't know how to do it. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. And I get done boarding up my house, and then like uh, a friend's, uh, we did a couple windows on a friend's house. And then Saturday afternoon, I'm coming back. Uh, after lunch, and I was just driving down my block just to, I was, I think I was going to go try to find something, and I just saw this, at the end of my block, this elderly woman struggling so bad to put a whole piece of plywood on a window by herself, and I just pull over my truck, and I pop out a drill, and I just say, hey, is it okay if I just help you real quick, and she said, oh, please, please, please help me, and so it's just five minutes, I just pop the drills in, the screws in, and then I tell her, She's got all this plywood, and I tell her, I've been trying to find plywood all morning. I had to use, like, trash scraps on my house. Where did you find all this plywood? And she's like, I went and got all this plywood on Tuesday, and I've been putting up, I've been doing one window each day for three or four days because it's so strenuous, and I can't, it's so hard for me to do. And I sat there under so much conviction because this woman had been out here putting up boards on windows for four days, and I had not even noticed one time, had not noticed. And the reason I had not noticed is because I was under so much anxiety and fear that I had traded in my card as a missionary. I was under so much self-absorption, which is the result of that kind of, the, that kind of fear and anxiety that I forgot, I forgot that I am an agent of the kingdom of God, a conduit of hope and servanthood and love for this street, for this block, for these people. And I just gave that role away for four days. Because we were just trying to figure out, what do we do? How do, we, how do I make my life something of value to me? And I cast aside the task the Lord Jesus had given me to accomplish. Because I thought my life was worth something to me. See, fear creates that self-absorption. And it, 
it doesn't disqualify you as a missionary. It just removes you from the office of a missionary when you're given over to that kind of fear. But friends, you're, you're, I just want to remind you, you're not just attenders of the underground church. That's not what this is. You are leaders of churches. You are carriers of the gospel in your workplace, in your city, in your neighborhood, among your family and your friends, in spaces that the gospel has not yet penetrated. You are leaders and missionaries. And I don't know about you, I, I, I won't speak for you, but I was exposed by a hurricane last week. Suddenly my life meant something to me, something of value, something worth protecting. I cast aside that task. And I think that today is just a morning for us to hear that inf invitation from Jesus again, to hear it anew, not just to be courageous, not just to be without fear because you are trusting in a trustworthy God, but to lead courageously, to be the church in times of fear and anxiety. And I think in some simple way we can do that this morning by returning to the promise of the cross and the resurrection. To remember that the assurance of your salvation, the certainty that you have in your standing with God and your future with Him, it actually undergirds this call to bold witness. If you aren't sure of your standing with God, it doesn't make any sense to put yourself in harm's way, to embrace and face persecution and suffering. But if, you're, if you know that your eternity with Him has been secured, if you're, if you're sure of your standing with Him, your reconciliation with Him, and your commissioning from Him as a carrier of His purposes in the world, then this all makes sense. And so this morning, in a simple way, I just wanted to remember at this table that sacrifice from Jesus on our behalf, that salvation that He won for us, and His display of His disposition, concern, and love for you night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, poured it out, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. And when you drink it, you do so in remembrance of me. And so this morning, would you come and would you come carrying with you? Would you come carrying with you some of those fears and some of those anxieties and some of those worries that you've had and come to the table and remember the authority of God over not just your now but your forever, His care for you, His uh, limitless concern for you, and then just leave those fears, those concerns, those worries, leave them at the, at the table. Carry with them with you no more. Leave them as you remember his sacrifice on your behalf as you remember this act of love and concern and renewal and resurrection for you this morning. The elements given for you.